Hi, this is Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I will be your host for the next two hours. Allow me to introduce myself. I am a certified financial planner practitioner and an investment advisor. I am co-owner of McNamara Financial Services, Inc. in Marshfield, Massachusetts. McNamara Financial is a federally registered investment advisor, and by my definition anyway, is a true family business. We work with clients like you every day, regular people that need help making sound financial decisions or people that want one less thing to worry about. I work with clients for a fee based on assets that I manage or an hourly or flat fee for creating financial plans. I am not compensated via commissions unless I have the pleasure of helping someone with their insurance needs. There are some things worth paying for, and perhaps a lifetime of financial security is one of them. I, of course, cannot guarantee that working with me will ensure a secure financial future. McNamara on Money has been a call-in talk radio show since 1990. I love hearing from listeners, and there truly are no dumb questions. In fact, I like the simple questions, because everyone should have the answer to those. Just don't call me asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number one, that's not the nature of this show. And number two, I have no idea. Any advice I give to a caller is meant to be generic in nature and should be verified with his or her own financial professionals. You will hear about a variety of topics on this show that relate to investments and personal finance. We try to cover topics that people can relate to regardless of their net worth or financial situation. And of course, we try to keep it interesting. I would crunch numbers for two hours or spreadsheet cash flows because I'm a total math nerd, but that wouldn't much make for good radio. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, career changes, and of course, retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. We have a great show for you this morning. We're going to talk about um, college-related things and financial aid. Official title of today's show, How Much Will College Really Cost You? My guest this morning is uh, with Vested Academics, and I'll, I'll let you do a little intro in a minute, but his name is Joe Novenson. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing fantastic. Thanks Good. for having me on. Thank you for being here. This is your second time on the show, I believe. Right? Yes, it is. I'm a repeat visitor. Yes. Well, I appreciate (laughs) it. And the first time we had you on, um, you were with a couple of colleagues. We talked about Mm -hmm. lots of different things related to college and uh, academic coaching and things like that. Um, But you are just a wealth of knowledge in um, in in with regards to financial aid and and the cost of college. And so um, this is uh, uh, thank you for your expertise and just incredibly helpful for our listeners and my clients and um, obviously college is a a huge financial undertaking for people, for families, for students. Um, And so uh, the more information we can get out there regarding the cost and and how to think about it and how to be prepared and how to plan for it and how to pay it back and all that stuff. So um, that's what we're talking about this morning. Um, So your firm is Vested Academics. I know you guys have multiple locations. Do you want to just take a minute to do a little bit of background on yourself and on Vested Academics? Sure, I'd be glad to. And thanks again for the kind words. My name is Joe Novenson. I have been with Vested Academics going on three years, but I have about a decade of experience working in the financial aid industry. And I've worked at a variety of schools with people from all different walks of life. I've worked at small private liberal arts colleges. I've worked at large public research universities. I've worked at medical schools. 
So I have really run the gamut. And uh, if there's anything that I can say about my experience with Bested is that it's just been a very positive message that we've been able to put out there that that college, that dream school that you have that doesn't seem within reach. Maybe the sticker price might be a little bit too high. We're here to tell you to dream big and to reach for it, not just reach for it, but grab it too. Because believe it or not, there are a lot of tips and tricks that your listeners can use to not only whittle down the ultimate cost of attendance in order to go to college, but they can actually use their leverage to try to strengthen their hand and get the best possible deal for them so they can find the right financial fit. And that's what we're here to do at Vested Academics. We're here not only to help with the admissions process, but also consult on the financial aid process. Um, yeah, that's awesome. Thank you. Well, I'm so glad you're here. I get these questions all the time about, you know, how much will it cost? Will it really? Co- I, I, I can, you know, anyone can go online and find the sticker price, but how much will it really cost? And um, so it, I, I, I'm not. I can't say that I'm an expert in the in the arena of. <laughs> The cost of college, of course, I help my pl- my clients plan for uh, the cost of college, but so appreciate you being here. Um, and you, by the way, you don't look old enough to have 10 years of experience. You uh, you must be aging very well. So that's wonderful. Eight glasses Thank of you. water a day. Oh, that's I try to do the same. Um, okay, so I guess I just wanted to start. We can bounce around, but I, I just wanted to start with, um, I guess, kind of just setting the stage mm-hmm. regarding... Let's talk about the sticker price of college for a moment. So, you know, I can do quick Google searching and I have some resource resources available to me in some of the planning software that I use regarding price per institution. Um, and so, you know, let's we'll separate public and private. And I guess we could separate uh, community colleges mm-hmm. from that. Um, so let's just give our ris- listeners a range for cost of private a four-year private education right now. Based on my research, it's in the range of 65000 to 85000 per year. Yep, and Even you're right on target. Yeah. That's about average. And yeah, I mean, your listeners uh, probably know better than me, especially if they have older children, that the cost of college isn't quite what it used to be, especially when they were in school. I'm just looking at the uh, US News and World Report magazine right now, and they're saying that Over the past 20 years, uh, you look specifically at the consumer price index for inflation, the average tuition and fees at a private school in the past 20 years since 2001 have jumped by 144%. And that's not even the worst figure. Out-of-state tuition and fees at public schools have jumped by 171%. And in-state tuition and fees at a public school have increased by 211%. Wow. So there's been a lot of movement. Do they give you that annualized? I don't know. How do we... They just give you the total increase. They don't give you the annualized average increase on that report. Uh, well, I'm looking know. at the report, yeah, from their uh, 2022 best college rankings. Yeah. So it's uh, of the 391 universities and uh, colleges that ended up making the cut. Wow. Uh, but that was what their uh, preliminary research uh, bore out. So, yeah, I mean, it's really jaw dropping when you stop and start thinking that, you know, the cost of going just to a UMass school, that's increased yeah. by more than 200% in the past 20 years. Yeah. When I do planning with clients, like I'm generally using a 5% to 6% annualized number. I'd have to do some calculations to sort of line that up with those numbers that you're um, giving me right now. But it's, it, it well, I think what we could take from the conversation is that it has pretty significantly outpaced 
regular inflation, which oh, has been yes. 2%, you know, the last 10 years or maybe two and a half or two and a half percent for 20 years, but annualized anyway. But um, so it's, it's pretty significantly outpacing that. So it actually, in some regards, it's kind of, oh, I was going to get too complicated and start talking about rates of return on, <laughs> on uh, investment accounts. We can get to that later when we talk yeah. about ways to, ways to save for college. I'll, I'll get nerdy later when we uh, get into the numbers a little bit more in terms of saving. But okay, so private schools, 65 to 85,000 easily. I just, I just looked up Villanova, which is my alma mater, and it's about 74, it's either 74 or 75,000 for this, uh, this academic year. Um, how about like public in-state? I mean, I guess UMass Amherst being the biggest one there. We're talking in the 30 to 35,000 range, uh, all in, including room and board, right? Yes. And, but one thing I'm, I'm not um, as clear on is, is a state school out of state, is that like mm-hmm. comparable to a private tuition where it's going to be in the 60 to 70 range? Potentially. Or, yeah. And okay. it does depend because there are certain agreements that have been made within colleges uh, throughout New England where let's say, for example, you're interested in going to a public school in New England, but there's not a school in your state that has your major. Let's say you're interested in puppetry of all things. Um, <laughs> there are no Massachusetts colleges that <laughs> offer a degree in puppetry. Um, however, UConn, does offer wow. a degree in puppetry. Um, so you could go to UConn to study that and you would pay proximity tuition. It's still okay. a little more than what in-state tuition would be, but it's less than what the out-of-state tuition price would be because no college in your state offers that degree program. So that's so states have agreements with each other. Mm-hmm. So it's not, you couldn't go anywhere. You'd have to find a state that has an agreement with Massachusetts. Is that right? Yeah, more broadly, I mean, the New England states in general have agreements among each other to discuss proximity tuition. And where I live, I'm not too far away from Rhode Island. Um, There are proximity uh, tuition agreements with the students from Rhode Island who end up going to uh, public schools and uh, other institutions in the South Coast region because it's really just a stone's throw away. Why should they be discriminated against? Because they're just crossing state lines. I crisscross state lines all the time just to run to the grocery store and back. Oh, okay. Um, But yeah, it's it's going to cost uh, somebody from Rhode Island less to attend a college or university here in Massachusetts uh, per se than it would somebody from California. So that's certainly something to be taken in consideration. Um, Gosh, I can't even remember how long ago it was. It may have been, I think it was like four or five years ago. Um, I had been working at a large public research university and I had just discovered uh, that one of our uh, crown jewel schools, um, they had reached a tipping point where they were actually admitting more out of state residents than in state residents. Oh. And that was just essentially, yes, to essentially uh, not just drive up the cost. And I don't believe that they were trying to line their pockets, mm. but it does say something though, like when you are giving preference to students that are applying from out of state who are ultimately responsible for paying a much larger bill than somebody coming from in-state that they can't nearly uh, ring out enough money from. So it says something that they're looking further afield to try to shore up their finances, try to bring in as many people as they can from out of state. I feel like UMass Amherst took some heat on that in the last year too, right? Yeah. And have the numbers turned since uh, that was publicized or maybe we haven't had enough time because that was pretty recent, right? Yeah, no, it wasn't uh, that very long ago, but yeah. And I mean, people have every right to be concerned, especially when we're talking about the quality of education that you're able to get. I mean, my father is a proud alum of UMass Amherst Mm -hmm. and very fortunate for him that he was able to afford and attend um, just by having a summer job. 
Um, obviously, oh, things have uh, yeah, dramatically things have changed. changed. I'm not quite as easy anymore. Not quite as easy. Just work over the summer and pay a full tuition. Yeah, no, wow. but it's it, it it says something though when even a state school that's starting to become out of reach for the average family. Yeah. Um, so this is uh, something that you know I'm really fortunate enough. Uh, not only to share my expertise on, but to be able to sit with people like you and have these conversations and reach your listeners so we can try to assuage some of their doubts, some of their fears, and help shine a light on what they need to know right now about paying for school. Yeah, perfect. What was it called when you said um, you can attend another in-state school, an out-of-state school for an in-state tuition? What did you call that? Proximity tuition. Proximity tuition. Is that fairly common or no? I would say it's fairly uncommon. It yeah. depends, as I said, on the type of degree program. Well, let's okay. say, for example, you're interested in studying biology. You're going to be a biology major. Well, all the colleges in Massachusetts, yeah. at least all have the it. state schools, they're going to have a biology program. Okay. So you're not going to get proximity tuition if you go to Connecticut, let's say, and study biology there because you could have done it cheaper at home. Yeah. Because it would have to be the more rare uh, exactly. majors like puppetry, for example. Yeah. I was amazed um, a few years ago when I, I just sat, went, sat down one day and I looked up all the state schools in Massachusetts and I put together a list of them just so, because I thought it would be helpful for conversations um, with clients about college and um, you know the, the drastic price difference between in-state and out-of-state. I was amazed at, at how many in-state schools public schools there are in Massachusetts. There's like mm-hmm. 26 or something. There's a lot. Oh, yeah. A lot, a lot of them were community colleges, but yeah. there was a lot more than I uh, than I knew because I would just think, oh, UMass Boston, UMass Amherst, UMass Dartmouth. Mm-hmm. What else is there? <laughs> but there yeah. was a lot. Um, so that was pretty eye-opening. And I do have that list. I don't have it uh, right with me right now, but I have that list uh, in my office and, and, I, and I pull that out and reference that once in a while. What about... <sighs> Let's just talk about, actually, before we, I was going to talk about COVID for a minute and how this has impacted it, but let's get to that in a minute. Um, is it pretty easy to find information on a school's website regarding the cost all in? Or are there like, like, for example, when I went to Villanova's website, it had, you know, tuition, room and board, this fee, that fee, this fee, that it had a lot of extra things. And then it had a total estimated cost for freshman year. Um, so it looked to me like, there probably wasn't going to be any hidden costs, right? And so that it looks like they were pretty good about getting that information um, out there. Is that common or are there like hidden fees that people stumble upon that they weren't aware of? No, I would say in general, most colleges are upfront about their cost of attendance because they have to be. Yeah. In the financial aid office, we have that figure, the cost of attendance. I just refer to it as a student budget okay. because we can only let a student borrow as much as they can reasonably repay. We don't want people taking out more money than they can afford to pay back over time. Good. Um, so you're going to see a college uh, advertise their cost of attendance by putting up their tuition and their fees, the room and board, uh, the cost of health insurance. Those are all considered to be direct costs that the student and their parent, um, they would be directly responsible for paying to that uh, college or university. Now, they've also included, as you mentioned, a lot of the bells and whistles. So you see other items such as transportation, uh, books and supplies, uh, personal expenses. 
Uh, those are all estimates from the financial aid office, and they're looking at both the consumer price index and student surveys to try to figure out on average how much would a student need, example, to uh, help with uh, getting to and from campus if they're taking public transportation or you know, okay. what if we get hit by yeah. another polar vortex that they didn't bring their winter coat. So that's why they try to add in those uh, estimated costs. These are referred to as indirect costs. And a lot of people, when they're looking at the sticker price, they're seeing both the direct and the indirect costs combined together. And it actually scares them because they're thinking it's going to be a lot more money than it actually is. Uh, so first thing parents want to do is just focus on those direct costs because that's really the number that you need to pay attention to. Pay attention to tuition and fees, pay attention to room and board. Yeah. And even better, um, if you already have health insurance for your child, if they're currently on your insurance plan and they're planning to remain on that until they're 26 years old, you can waive the school's mm. health insurance requirement and that gets removed from your bill. Right. Okay. I never, uh, until just a little bit before the show, I never really looked at the numbers to see um, if they made sense in terms of how much it would really cost to house, you know, uh, someone with a couple of roommates, right, and mm -hmm. feed someone like the meal plan, right? Um, but as I look at these numbers, for example, I'm just going to use Villanova's numbers. Um, the meal plan is about $7,000. Mm -hmm. um, for the year. So that's, what are we talking over n nine months, eight mm -hmm. months probably. So that's a little bit less than a thousand dollars a month. That seems pretty reasonable. Yeah. Um, the room was like $8,200. So it's like a thousand dollars a month for rent. Right. So that seems very mm -hmm. reasonable. Um, and then the tuition is 58,290. So I started like thinking in my head, wouldn't it be cool to kind of sit down and like figure out, okay, how many professors do they have? How many students <laughs> do the professor and like do a budget for yeah. the school. Right. And kind of put that into perspective in terms of what am I, what am I paying for? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so in this example, you're, you're paying about, I guess that's, I don't know, eight, $8,000 a month for, mm -hmm. The, the the education, uh, the, the cost yeah. of the actual education itself. Anyway, I just, have you ever done that? Have you ever looked at a school's budget? Oh, yeah. I yeah, do you, that all I'm the sure. time for my yeah. client. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. And uh, as you pointed out, these are ranges too. Um, yeah. They're just going to advertise the average cost in the cost of attendance. But if a family were to... Uh, drill down and try to figure out what the most expensive meal plan was versus the least expensive, right. um, the most expensive dorm on campus versus the least expensive dorm. Uh, prices can range. Oh, interesting. I guess I, I, I never uh, dig that deep to see if there's different. You're right. It does say average, like under room, it says the average of type three, four, and five. I never thought about that, yeah. that it would, it would vary depending on where, you know, the things you don't think about when you're an actual college student and your parents are just, you know, helping you through this and I mm -hmm. really think about those details. Um, oh, yeah. No, and I mean, I had it too. Um, my freshman year, I was initially scheduled to be in a double. And then I was told that if you agree to a triple, we'll either give you $1,000 off tuition or you get a free laptop. Uh, stupidly, I picked the laptop. I wish I had really picked the $1,000. Oh, well, that's about how much a laptop costs. So, Pretty yeah. much. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, no, I mean, it's it, it really does range. And I mean, even, uh, and this was the thing that like really galled me. Uh, during my upperclassmen years uh, because there was a bit of a housing crunch on campus. Um, they had us living off campus at a uh, hotel. I believe it was a residence inn for long-term stays. And I was paying as much to live in that residence inn as the most expensive housing option on campus. Oh, wow. Wow. I remember my senior year, I 
Um, at Villanova, most kids lived off campus senior year, but I was an engineering student and engineering students were guaranteed on-campus housing. So my parents wanted me to stay on campus, probably thinking that I wouldn't get into as much trouble. Not that I got into trouble. I was a kid <laughs> and I got good grades and I was, I didn't get into much trouble, but, um, and, but of course all my friends were moving off campus and I wanted oh, to yeah. live with my friends. And so I remember doing a little budgeting exercise and I had a little proposal for them. So I priced out how much the rent was. I priced out how much I thought it would cost me to grocery shop versus being on a meal plan. And I, I showed to them that it was going to save money and they finally agreed to let me um, live off campus. But I had to do a little budgeting and make a proposal to them and thank goodness for that, right? Take some responsibility yeah. and some initiative. And Yeah, um, no, you used your smarts. I sure did. And look where I am now. Now I do budgeting yeah. all day long. Um, <laughs> ha has... It's probably too early to tell, but are we seeing any effects of COVID on, I guess, anything related to the cost of college? And I guess just where my mind was going was, um, I don't know, reduced enrollments or increased enrollments in community colleges or online programs. Um, and maybe it was just that one little blip. But I just was wondering if like there's anything shaking in that world that would potentially mm -hmm. impact the cost of college going forward. No, of course. And yeah, I mean, this pandemic has really shaken a lot of people to their core, especially uh, colleges and universities who are heavily reliant on room and board mm. to help uh, oh. ultimately uh, help ultimately uh, prop up their bottom line. Okay. Um, so what you see in certain instances, you see schools freezing tuition and fees, at least for one year, just because of the economic sensitivities around that. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I, I can say, based on my experience working at different schools, that they don't want there to be a sudden price hike. They don't want students to come back to a 6% tuition increase. Yeah. Um, gradually, they usually would be anywhere between 1.5 and 3% annually. Um, I know that, as I said, many schools, they froze that uh, for one year during the pandemic because nobody really knew where things were going to end up and they didn't yeah. want to penalize students, especially if they weren't going to be able to live on campus because right. of pandemic conditions. Right. Um, but now we've figured out uh, how to do it responsibly and people have the ability to be vaccinated. Now people are coming back to campus. And this is where we're going to start seeing those tuition and fee increases. As I said, uh, it's really bad press if somebody were to hike up tuition by anything more than 3%, but on average, okay. you can expect a 1.5 to 3% increase every year at most schools. Okay. I just was wondering if any institutions are, you know, going to be delivering education differently as a result mm. of COVID. And, you know, for example, very common for students to now be receiving content online, right? And, yeah. and deliver and maybe um, watching lectures online or, you know, taking classes from home or their or their dorm room. I just didn't know if I guess I, I would love if the schools were thinking about ways that they could lower their cost of delivering education mm -hmm. as a result of what is what is you know pretty normal now in terms of learning online. I guess it's still been a relatively short period of time where students are learning primarily online, but 
Um, it would just be nice if schools were taught, like, is anybody talking about that? Is anybody, you know, pu publicly talking about that? You know, let's, we're going to be delivering, you know, recording lectures and, and instead of live lectures, and then they need less staff and which is terrible for the professors. I, I get that, yeah. but I just didn't know if, is there any buzz about that? I, I was just hopeful in that regard. Yeah. You know, I would say colleges have had to learn to do more with less, uh, during these past, uh, 15, 16 months. Yeah. So it's it's certainly been a strain on them, but it's also uh, forced them to uh, be creative and rely on their ingenuity and try to figure out how they deliver their product and education uh, yeah. to their consumers more effectively. And so, yeah, I think it's a huge benefit um, to be able to put that information online, to have virtual lectures, um, to be able to connect with your uh, professors in that digital space so that you can reap the benefits of that education while not having to pay for room and board, especially right. if you're able to live yeah. at home with your parents. Yeah. Um, but I also think on the other hand, there are a lot of students who are really itching to get out from under their roof and they want that traditional college experience. Yeah. And I think that, yeah. and I, I, think, I think it cuts both ways. That's I think true. there have been certain people who have benefited tremendously um, from taking it online and making it more accessible to them. And then you have other uh, individuals who unfortunately, maybe due to structural disadvantages, they don't have a reliable internet connection or maybe yeah. they have one computer that they share among multiple siblings, um, that this really is not a viable option for them, that they need to be on campus, they need to be in a classroom. Yeah. Um, so I think there's always going to be that divide, but I would like to believe that schools are looking toward the future and this has forced them to be more creative in terms of their offerings yeah. and try to figure out how they can bring more students in while helping them be able to uh, graduate into the marketplace with a reasonable amount of debt. Yeah. I mean, and if you think about, we were just uh, going back to the professors for a minute, like every, all, almost every working professional in the last 18 months, right, has had some taste of um, working from home, a little bit better work-life balance, right? Less of a commute. And I just like think about the professors, like they must be in that same boat too, right? They've been able to, um, you know, push content out online, maybe record a lecture or, you know, Zoom with their students and record that lecture and um, connect with students, you know, from home. So I just was wondering if like, well, maybe the professors are like raising their hand, like, hey, I could, I could do this long-term. You could, maybe they're not saying you could pay me a little bit less, but you know, what, what if that... <laughs> What if that translates to, you know, mm -hmm. schools potentially reducing costs there and they can provide mm -hmm. a little bit better work life balance for the professors? And I don't mm -hmm. know. I just. Oh, no, wish, no, no. Maybe you're, wishful you're, thinking, but it would be cool to see if some of that unfolded yeah. and maybe some institution at some point, you know, it goes you know, mm -hmm. goes public with that and says, hey, we're looking at this, this and this. We're really trying to combat this crazy uh, inflation we're seeing on the cost of education. Even if they're not reducing tuition, mm -hmm. maybe they could freeze it for more than this one year, you know, or, yeah. or, or just really tackle it and go at it. I, I, and I feel like, you know, with, with what's happened in the world, this is like a great time to do that and reevaluate, you know, where can mm -hmm. we save so our students aren't paying sixty-five dollars to $85,000 per year, right? Mm -hmm. And we'll talk about, I know we'll talk about how we can reduce that and all that stuff. And that's, we'll get into that after the break. So, all right, all right. pardon Sounds my little good. rant in that regard. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. I'm speaking today with Joe Novenson of Vested Academics. He's a financial aid consultant and knows like everything 
there is to know about financial aid and, and all that stuff. So um, we're going to get into the details uh, of that uh, after the break. I wanted to talk after that about uh, scholarships and grants and what resources are out there for people. So we'll get right into the nitty gritty uh, right after the break. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Alyssa Reed with McNamara Financial in Marshfield. Your investment strategy should largely be determined by the amount of time you have before needing the money. If you are aggressively invested, time is your friend when it comes to your portfolio recovering from this scary stock market. If you need your invested money soon, it should have been conservative to begin with. If you're not sure how your money is invested, I'd be happy to offer my opinion. 781-834-2010. And we're back. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed talking about college today. How much will college really cost you? Um, My official title for today's show. My guest uh, this morning is Joe Novenson with Vested Academics. He's a financial aid consultant and a wealth of knowledge and uh, second time on the show. And uh, good morning again. And thank you for being here. Oh, happy to be here. Glad to be a frequent flyer. I love it. And actually, I should have asked you if you go by Joe or Joseph. I totally shortened that automatically. Which do you prefer? Call me Joe. All righty, good. Um, All right, we're talking about, um, I wanted to move on to um, one of your opening uh, statements in your intro was that you work with your clients to um, help, I don't know if you said strip away the cost of college or peel away uh, some of the costs related to to college. So maybe I'll have you kind of... explain what you meant by that. I was going to start asking questions about scholarships and grants and all that stuff, but I think it would be better if you kind of took the lead here and, and explain what you meant by that, if that's okay. Sure. Gladly. And yeah, we're just talking about scratching off the sticker price. And I'll be honest, for a lot of low and even middle income families, they are looking at a school's price tag, whether it's Villanova or another, uh, private liberal arts school, maybe an Ivy League school, and they see how astronomical it is. And they're Mm -hmm. thinking, whoa, that's not for me. That's not for my family. That's not for my child. I'm not Mm going to let them apply there. We're not getting Mm -hmm. their hopes up. I mean, there are a number of schools with big endowments that are willing to dip into their wallets and they would be willing potentially to either pay half of your child's tuition if let's say you're making less than six figures or let's say you're making less than $50,000. They may be able to cover all tuition and fees, and you would only be responsible for room and board. So I don't want people shutting themselves off from that opportunity because they're scared by the price tag. The price tag is negotiable. Everything's negotiable. There are are certain federal regulations that apply to financial aid that are non-negotiable. And I often have to find myself telling people, I can't tell you uh, what's fair. I can only tell you what the regulations are, and these are (laughs) what the regulations state. Um, But in terms of uh, fair and not fair, Um, What isn't fair is for a family to shortchange themselves by not applying to enough colleges and not giving themselves enough options. If I could magically walk back in a time and do it all over again, I would have applied to more than three schools. Mm. I wasn't very smart about that. Um, I applied to a state college. I applied to a private school, and I applied to another state college, but out of state. Um, Ultimately, I really didn't have that much leverage because I didn't really have that many offers to compare against each other. Nowadays, it's not uncommon for families to apply um, for more than 10 schools, and you can put up to 10 schools at a time on your FAFSA. And I think it's very important when you're doing that, uh, and you list out your schools, that you try to find schools with similar profiles. So for example, because I attended Marist College, let's say I was a little bit more ambitious. I put a couple more of my uh, 
safety schools on there. I put, let's say, Fordham, or I put Quinnipiac, or I put Hofstra. Now, all of these schools are in direct competition with my alma mater. So if they could see that one of their competitors was willing to dip into their pocket and they were going to offer me more merit aid, okay. then I might be able to get them to pony up more. But if I were to go to Marist and say, hey, guys, listen, you know, I'd love to come here. I can close my eyes. I can see myself walking across that stage <laughs> on commencement day four years from now. But I have a problem, and it's a money problem. And here, Harvard University is going to pay for half of my tuition and fees. What are you going to do for me? They're going to laugh in my face. Mm. <laughs> They're going to say, go to Harvard because they can't compete. Harvard isn't in their league. Okay. Um, so you've really got to try to focus when you're getting schools to compete against one another. It's just trying to group them by similar profiles. So you have your small private liberal arts colleges. Maybe you're applying to some Ivy League schools, but also don't leave out any public uh, colleges or universities too. And if you're applying to them, be sure to apply to several just so you have options okay. because it's going to come in handy um, when you have to do that negotiation um, to try to get your child the best deal. And I, I will say... Um, and this is a common mistake that so many families end up making when they don't feel like they've received enough financial aid. The first place they go is straight to the financial aid office. And I got to tell you, you are barking up the wrong tree. Oh, um, okay. Financial aid, unfortunately, um, we can't assist you with anything more than what you're already eligible for based on your demonstrated need. Now, okay. we will do special circumstances. They're called professional judgments where we'll review any changes to a family's finances within the last two years. But we're only going to adjust your finances if that results in you qualifying for more need-based aid. That means your expected family contribution drops beneath a certain threshold so you can qualify, let's say, for a federal Pell Grant. In that instance, we'll help you. But if we're talking about free money, we're talking about institutional scholarships and grants. That's a conversation that you need to have with admissions. Admissions okay. is your go-to department. What I tell all of my clients, I try to impress on them, you know, you definitely want your child to be uh, in charge of the conversation. You want them to be the tip of the spear because I'll be honest. Not the parents. Yeah, working okay. in higher education. I mean, I get that parents are invested and their children are very busy. They have all these extracurriculars and they're just trying to look out for their child's best interest, but it feels more sincere if it's totally. coming from the child. Yeah. And it shows that they're genuinely interested. They are enthusiastic about going there. And if they can establish that relationship with the person that I call their Spock, their single point of contact, their Spock, if they can find their Spock in the admissions office, they can get them fired up. They can get them excited about going to that school. Then you're going to have opened a channel of communication that could potentially result in more merit aid being offered because you've already established that relationship. And most of these admissions officers, they're frontline. They may be relatively new to the field. Maybe they're fresh out of school themselves. Maybe they had a work-study job in admissions. Some, of course, are a lot more seasoned. Um, but it's really important to remember um, that these schools right now are competing tooth and nail. They are just really? trying to recruit people hand over fist. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, we've all read the headlines. We've seen what happened to Mount Ida. We've seen what happened yeah, to Newberry yeah. College. We okay. heard what just happened to Becker and Worcester. There are a lot of schools right now that are circling the drain. So you have a lot of families who are on edge about that. And you have a lot of schools who are really on edge about their finances and they are fighting tooth and nail to try to get students to sign on the dotted line. And this is where the games begin. This is where the negotiations start with your Spock in the admissions office and you go to them and say, hey, listen, I'd love to come here. You're still my first choice, but I got a problem. 
and it's a money problem. And your competitor, school B, because they have the same profile as you, they're willing to give me $5,000 more of merit aid, let's say. That means I'm going to get $5,000 more per year. I'm going to have saved $20,000 over four years. That's $20,000 I don't have to pay back later with interest. Can you match that? Yeah. And if you can't match that, like, can you do something for me? Because I still want to come here, but I'm not going to be able to afford it if I don't get more help. I love how excited you are about this. Uh, um, so by the way, you were mentioning gr- how to grouping schools together by profile. Mm-hmm. Does the average person know how to do that? I- is that no. easy to do? Okay. I mean, so it I should say, be. I would have no idea. I mean, I guess I could group the Ivies together, but beyond that. Oh, yeah. I mean, try looking at like, for example, uh, like the athletic conference that they're competing in. Like that gives you like a sense oh, of like, okay, okay, like these schools are all of a similar profile. Oh, I love that. Okay. The athletic conference. Okay. And do you have to, you were saying that the FAFSA, you can put up to 10 schools on, but you don't yeah. necessarily have to do your grouping on the FAFSA, right? That's, that's for later on. I guess I don't understand what you mean by grouping them. Is that just in your mind when you're going to have conversations about when you're negotiating or do you actually have to group them Somewhere, I think that was a dumb question. The answer is hey, right. No, that's okay. When in doubt, write it out. I tell people, <laughs> you know, write it out in advance. Try to put your columns together. Here are the small private liberal arts colleges in New England. Okay. Here are these big state schools, um, both in state and out of state. Okay. Um, maybe there are some Ivy League colleges I'm looking at. So yeah, just trying to uh, separate them out. And yeah, you can put up to 10 schools at a time on the FAFSA. And the beautiful thing about that is you can refile the FAFSA up to 10 times. So let's say you apply to more than 10 schools. All you would need to do is log right back into your FAFSA. You bump a school off of that list of schools you selected. You put in the new school and the school that you bumped, they're still going to have your original FAFSA results. So you don't have to worry about that messing anything up. Oh, okay. I know it's common to apply to a lot of schools these days. Oh, yeah. Um, I guess I wasn't really sure the reason, but this is a really good reason because you have negotiating ability. Um, And all those things you were saying about, you know, those conversations to have with your point of contact in the admissions office, I I have a hard time thinking that the the students are going to be comfortable doing that. Mm -hmm. which is 100% accurate, right? There's very few high school seniors that are going to be comfortable making those phone calls and, you know, eloquent enough, you know, in their Mm -hmm. communication skills. um, uh, uh, What's the word? Uh, Comfortable, I guess, with their communication skills. Um, But perhaps uh, the the effort is um, appreciated regardless of how well they negotiate is that is that right you know i guess i'm just like it would be easy for me and you to make those phone calls right and it'd be easy for the parent to do that and you know my son daughter really wants to go to the school and and all these and you know that would be Mm -hmm. easy but i'm i'm just imagining that that's incredibly difficult for an 18 or 19 year old oh yeah no absolutely and i mean that's where we come in at vested and i help give you guys that script so you can prepare in advance and you can figure out okay here's how we're going to negotiate here's the number we're going in with. Here's what we're going to say about schools B, C, and D. Okay. And we'll see what school A will do for us. And yeah, I mean, it, if it helps to have your uh, parents there with you, either on the phone or to CC them on the email that you send to your Spock, that's perfectly fine. Yeah. I just always want the child to be the face of the negotiation oh, because it feels absolutely. a lot more sincere. Yeah. And it also, you know, colleges, I'm sure, want students that are showing initiative and, exactly. and that do have good communication skills. And, you know, those are the types of kids that they want on their campus. So that mm-hmm. makes that does make sense. Um, is a lot of this negotiation done over email or is it mostly on the phone or, or both? 
I prefer keeping things in writing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it can also happen on the phone too. Uh, yeah. That's why it's really important when you're speaking with your SPOC to be keeping records just so that you're aware of what they said. Um, okay. So when the time comes for you to decide where you're going to put down your tuition deposit, you're going to have an informed idea um, of which school is going to be giving you the most money, which school will be the right financial fit. Even if it's one of these schools that we were talking about with a price tag well north of $68,000, they may have offered you enough merit aid to bargain you down to being about equivalent to the cost of a state school at this rate. Mm -hmm. So it's very important to uh, figure out before um, you put down your tuition deposit, who's your right financial fit? Because the minute you put down that tuition deposit, the minute you plop down that $1,000 or $1,500 to hold your spot, all of your leverage just done. slipped away. Oh, okay. You have yeah. nothing to negotiate with at that point. And so are we, th these students that are negotiating to reduce the co their, their price for attendance, is this exclusively, um, you know, kids with bright, with, with, you know, really good grades and great um, SAT scores and what's the other one, ACT? Um, mm -hmm. Could this be anyone or I guess is this is this, you know, the upper tier of kids with the best grades and, and, and those are the ones that are successfully negotiating or or are there other students maybe with average grades that can be successful yeah. in these negotiations as well or extracurricular activities? Does that play in as well yeah. in terms of, um, you know, how desirable they are for a, a college? Yeah, yeah, no, you don't have to be an Einstein to negotiate. Um, and just speaking from experience, I'd worked at a small private liberal arts college. I got to see how the sausage was made. I see how they've <laughs> awarded merit aid. Okay. And yeah, I mean, let's say, for example, you're a average, maybe slightly above average student, you maybe not be on the honor roll consistently, but you're holding your own. And let's say, for example, you do the SATs or the ACTs. Uh, maybe you weren't impressed with your score. Maybe you try giving it a second go and you do better the second time. Some schools, and this is typically true of the smaller private liberal arts colleges that have less money to throw around. If you go to these schools and you tell them, hey, listen, I retested and I did a lot better the second oh. time around, or hey, you know, my class rank at the time I applied, it was lower than I've bumped it up quite a bit, or I've raised my GPA beyond a certain threshold, mm -hmm. then that might qualify you for more merit aid. I have oh. seen students who've gone from a 2.8 to a 3.2 and their merit aid went from $8,000 up to $10,000. Wow. That's so great. Cause I feel like sometimes when you get into that senior year, you're, you know, maybe slacking off a little bit. You yeah. feel like it doesn't much matter cause you already applied to schools, but that right there is a reason to keep your grades up. Um, mm -hmm. Negotiation Absolutely. power. Interesting. Um, okay, so that's merit-based aid. And that's, from what I understand, that's pretty common to receive merit-based aid, right? My, my kids are still younger. I haven't gone through this process yet. Yeah. Um, but I, from what I understand, that that's, there's a lot of money out there in the way of merit-based aid. Yeah, I would say that's pretty typical of the small private liberal arts colleges, even some of the brand names. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, at private schools, that's pretty much the name of the game is merit aid. Um, okay. You're not really going to see that much at a state school. Um, okay. just because they don't have as many resources as some of these other colleges do. Yeah. Or as I uh, said, working at my, my small private liberal arts school, uh, things were pretty lean and we were fighting tooth and nail to try to recruit people and get them to sign on the dotted line. So we would slash tuition from eight to 10, up to $20,000 off wow. the sticker price just to get them to come. Wow. So you mentioned, um, a few minutes ago that the financial aid office is just sort of calculating demonstrated need, 
right? Exactly. And then the, it's the admissions office that you would be negotiating with um, to receive merit-based aid. Yes. Do the admissions officers factor in the financials when they're agreeing to the amount of merit-based aid? And that is a very good question. And I have to say to that, um, that when you fill out your financial aid applications, everybody's going to fill out the FAFSA, but there are only about 400 colleges and universities have a separate application known as the CSS or the College Scholarship Search Profile, and that's offered okay. through the College Board. And these are the schools um, that are sitting on a big pile of money, and they're trying to figure out how can I divvy up that money equitably so I can recognize an incoming student who does have demonstrated need, but I'm making sure that I'm not giving away the farm. Like I want to be sure that I'm giving them just enough to be able to attend. And as I said, right. there are some brand name schools out there that if your family isn't making six figures, maybe they're making less than $50,000 a year, they might be able to cover your tuition and fees. This is a very popular trend among these moneyed schools where they want to be able to put graduates out there in the workforce and say that they did it without them having to borrow a dime because they believe in that strongly in their mission. And to supplement that, they'll offer them scholarships or grants. They may require them to do a work-study job on campus. But between all of that, um, what I would have to say is that, yes, financial aid and admissions, um, we are in contact with They're each talking. other. We all They're fall, talking. Yeah, we all yep. fall under the same enrollment management umbrella. Mm -hmm. um, so I can't pretend that we're need blind all the time. Um, but it's also important to uh, assess not how deep a family's pockets are, how many resources they have, but what a school can reasonably do for somebody to help pull them across the finish line. Because it's not just my job to get a student to go to college. It's my job to get a student to come to college, to go to school, and then to get through college. I am not doing my job as a financial aid administrator if I'm not helping people figure out how to graduate with the least mm. amount of debt possible. And that is my mm -hmm. personal responsibility as a financial aid administrator, try to drive mm. that number down. Yeah. So it's really important. Not only do you have your SPOC in admissions, but maybe you have a SPOC in financial aid. Maybe you didn't qualify for that Pell Grant, or you, maybe your parents uh, earn too much and your cost of attendance is all out of whack and you don't get work study. You only qualify for that $5,500 loan. But hey, that's SPOC in financial aid during the spring semester of your freshman year. They might be able to recommend an institutional scholarship for you. Okay. And those scholarships have very few applicants. Okay. Yeah. So I it's important to... to have that connection on the inside. Okay. Save that for a minute because I, I want to talk about scholarship resources and things like that. I was asking the question about merit based. I was asking the question about is admissions talking to the financial aid office more because I can think of some conversations I've had with some clients. And, you know, I can think of some clients that make six figures, they might make very good money. But, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars these days, it's not as much mm -hmm. as it sounds like, I guess, right. And, yeah. you know, I can think of people with, you know, making pretty good money, but, you know, several kids and it, you know, costs a certain amount of money to live in this area of the world. Oh, yeah. And, you know, saving hard for retirement, maybe they don't want to have to work until they're 70 or 75, right? They want to, mm -hmm. you know, retire, you know, at a reasonable age while they're young and healthy. And so I guess I was asking that because I wanted to know, like, say there's this student who gets great grades, maybe not the best of the best, but good grades and a good, you know, testing scores, but their parents make $250,000. Mm -hmm. But there are people like that that make good money that still 
might not see the value in an $80,000 a year education. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, they, and they might not even, maybe they could pay for that or they could pay 50 or 60 or $70,000 out of assets and out of, out of income. But there are people that, you know, are, are in my mind, pretty, you know, I, I guess I'll use the word responsible, thinking responsibly mm-hmm. about what they value and if it's worth it. And I think that's, that's a great way to think about it. And I'm not saying that an $80,000 a year education isn't necessarily worth it, but I think it's worth thinking about it. Right. So I guess oh, where yeah. I'm asking if, um, it, are there ever situations where that student whose parents probably could pay almost the full sticker price, if they could still be negotiating with admissions because uh, um, just because they, maybe they wouldn't attend if they had to pay the, the full 80,000, for example. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, and I hear what you're saying with that. And honestly, a uh, family coming from that position, they are very attractive to admissions because that's okay. a family with money. That's a family that could afford to pay their bill, not just to come for freshman year, but for all four years. Yeah. And yeah, they could just as easily vote with their feet. They can walk away from the table and they can bring their money with them. So it's in the interest of admissions officers to try to recruit families from all different uh, sides of the economic equation. But yeah, they do yeah. try to focus too on families that do have a little bit more who aren't going to have as many structural barriers and could reasonably pay for all four years of school because they can't afford to lose people. Um, during right. the summer churn, it's called the summer melt in our industry where people just drop off oh, the okay. face of the earth. We don't know what <laughs> happened to them. They put down the tuition deposit and then they uh, they just melt away. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they, 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 they are definitely concerned about uh, attrition rates. They do not want all of these students that they fought so desperately to recruit to transfer out after their first or second year because oh, okay. what's the value in that? Because now right. they have to work twice as hard to try to bring in two more students for everyone that transferred. Right. No, that makes sense. Yeah. I guess I was just thinking like, you know, there might be families that are fairly well off that could say, hey, Villanova is not giving me a dime. I'm going to call up BC and see if they'll knock, you know, five or 10,000 off in terms of merit-based aid, or maybe they're calling, I don't know, what's a comparable school, Providence, or I don't know. Right. And, and so I just, I guess I just wondered if that was happening with with the wealthier families as well. That definitely happens. Honestly, most of the families that are negotiating are the families that are well off. Oh, okay. Oh, that's good to know. That's okay. that, that just the reality of the situation is that a lot of families with resources know that they have resources and they can leverage them to their advantage. And they are going to pick up the phone and call around at those other schools. And then they'll go right back to their school of choice and they'll say, hey, listen, you guys aren't giving us a dime, but BC, Providence, they're going to mm-hmm. shell out for my child. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do? Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. Because they cool. need you more than you need them. Interesting. Okay. I had another question that I lost it on that topic. Um Okay. Um, enough on that. All right. You mentioned a little bit ago. One of my questions for you was, um, first of all, before we get there, help clarify the difference between merit-based aid, well, a, a, a scholarships and grants. I think I get a little bit confused on like the technical difference between those. Merit-based mm-hmm. aid is just the college shrinks the price of tuition, right? Pretty much. Yeah. So just to clarify, scholarships yeah. and grants, um, that's free money. That's money you don't have to repay. It can be awarded as merit aid, or it can come from an outside group or a civic organization, your Lions Club, your Kiwanis Club, your Rotary Club, your Daughters of the American Revolution. They can also um, offer uh, merit aid in the form of a scholarship or a grant. And then you have the need-based aid. Now, 
a Pell Grant does fall under the category of need-based aid because you have to be making less than a certain amount according to the expected family contribution formula to qualify for a Pell Grant. Okay. In my experience, your expected family contribution has to be about $6,000 or less. Um, a lot of the clients that okay. I have are nowhere near qualifying for that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, yeah, when, in terms of need-based aid, and this is what really gets people because they don't like it when I refer to loans as aid because aid in their mind means free money. Yeah, um, totally. But not all loans yeah. are created equal. And I get it. And I okay. try to distinguish, but not all loans are created equal. If your child fills out the FAFSA and they can qualify for that $5,500 loan at that 3.73% fixed interest rate during that first year of school, um, that loan can be split apart. There can be a $3,500 subsidized loan, which doesn't accumulate any interest while they're taking classes. Mm. And then there's a $2,000 loan that does accumulate interest, but hey, maybe you're making those interest payments every month. So that way you don't have to worry about it capitalizing. And then you end up paying interest on top of interest later on. Okay. So grants and scholarships are like the same thing kind of, but does, does, is one guaranteed for four years and the other one isn't? I thought there was something about... If you're awarded a scholarship, it's not necessarily for all four years and you have to mm-hmm. re- Oh, yeah. Right? And There's something about that's that, That's the other right? big pre-qualifier with uh, Merit Aid, especially if it's coming from the admissions office. And you want to try to get that in writing, okay. um, that you understand what the terms and conditions are, that your child has to maintain a certain GPA or they have to be enrolled okay. in a certain number of credits in order to qualify for that award annually. And this is a thing that gets people. And it really just guts me when I hear about schools that front load their aid, meaning that they will offer a big BAFO scholarship <gasps> for that freshman year. And then they just leave that student high and dry by the time uh, they're a sophomore. And they're wedded to the school and they love it. At and all that point, yeah, they're and wedded they don't to the school. Leave exactly. And they're going to pay it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's, oh, that hurts. Yeah, yeah, no. So if you do get merit aid, um, try to get that in writing from the school that that will be renewable for okay. all four years that you're there. Yeah, there may be preconditions attached. You may have to maintain yep. that GPA. You may have to be enrolled in a certain number of credits. But, you know, have that be clear, like right from the get-go. So your child knows this and they have that in the back of their mind uh, when they're thinking about blowing up, studying at the library and going to that kegger. Yeah. <laughs> I hope that my kids have something like that where I can be like, hey, you need your GPA. No, they'll be good kids. I know it. No, never going to keggers. Um, real quick before we have to take another break. Athletic scholarships, very mm-hmm. uncommon or common or I feel like there's a lot of parents that think their their kids are going to get athletic scholarships, but I it doesn't seem that they're all that common, right? I wouldn't say they're all too common, but there's a certain game that's being played with athletic scholarships that could actually leave a family in a less advantageous situation. Okay. So we could talk more about that. Yeah. Um, We've got like one minute. So if you need more than a minute to explain, let's do it after the break. Okay. That's fine. Let's do that after the break. We'll get back. It sounded like there was a lot churning in your head. Yeah. There's a little bit to unpack there. A few minutes there. Okay. All right. Um, Okay. Uh, You're listening to McNamara on money. I'm Alyssa McNamara Reed. I'm joined this morning by Joe Novinson, who is a wealth of knowledge in the world of financial aid. So we're talking about how much will college really cost you? Um, Joe has been on the show before and was very impressive. And I thought that just the content was great. So I um, thought this was a great time of year to revisit that again. Um, so thank you for being here. Um, Joe, just give out, do you want to give out your website? I know you do consulting for Vested Academics and you talk one-on-one with students and parents about, about these things. I, I don't know, do you do hourly consulting or project-based consulting or... Oh, yes. All, that, all the, that stuff. All right. All of that, all that good stuff. Yeah. yeah. And um, 
Yeah. So if you guys wanted to get at us, we're at uh, vestedacademics.com. And we're not only here for the financial uh, aid application process, we're also here to do college coaching. We can help with essays. We can help talking about athletic scholarships, or if we're going to be looking at scholarship searches in general, that's something that we are focused on. And it's not just, as I said, something that we want to do just to get a child to school. We're here for all four years. We want to get your child through school. We are even on the back end helping them with study skills once they've enrolled at college, uh-huh. if they're having trouble keeping their grades up. So yeah, if you visit us at vestedacademics.com, you could sign up for one of our packages, or if you're looking to just schedule an appointment individually with a consultant, um, our staff are more than happy to hash that out with you so we can get you the information that you need to start making better choices. Awesome. Thank you for that. And you can also see a picture of Joe and his beautiful daughter, Sonia, on the website, which I'm looking at right now. Thank and you. I heard a little noise in the background and I wasn't sure if it was her or my dogs that are whining in the other room. I can hear that, <laughs> that noise as well. Apologies. Oh, no, that. that's her. It's, it's, it's beating time at the zoo. It's, it's funny that uh, you say that because she's finally starting to get words. And she, we have three cats. She refers to them all as Kitty, of course. But now all animals are Kitty. And I'll bring her to the puppy oh, park and just start calling the puppies kitties. And then I get a bunch of confused stares. And oh, she's at, it is oh what my it God, is. such a great age. <laughs> oh, you're making me feel old. My kids are so old. My baby just turned nine. Oh, my goodness. Um, okay, we are going to take a quick break and we will be right back talking about more financial aid related stuff with Joe Novenson, Vested Academics. You're listening to McNamara on Money. We'll be right back. <laughs> 